Welcome back to Talk of the Town on 99.7 and 1450 WHTC on WHTC.com and on the WHTC app for your smartphone. Once again, here's your host, Gary Stevens. Welcome back to Talk of the Town for this Friday, February 2nd. It is the first Friday of the month, which means at this time, we catch up with things going on in the Holland Department of Public Safety. And what has been in the past has been a case of alternating situations where we would have one month dealing with fire operations and another one dealing with police services. We are blessed to have both in the building today with Captains Keith Mulder and Chris Tinney joining us. Keith is with Police Services. Chris is with Fire Operations. But we have a third person in here, and I'm going to ask Keith Mulder to introduce our third guest in here, and we're going to try to bring the discussion about not only recent events, but also something that would be a joint situation that would involve both branches of the Holland Department of Public Safety. Keith, good morning, and who do you have with you today? Good morning. Thank you, Gary. Uh, it's Detective Sergeant Chris Hagland. He's been with our Detective Bureau for quite a while now, and uh, we got him to come in and join us today. We appreciate both of uh, you and Chris to join us today. And if you have a question for our men in blue, no, they have not changed their uniforms to black like Allegan County Sheriffs. Uh, 616-395-1450, 616-395-1450. We're going to bring Chris in first because I'm going to uh, bring up the story that happened while I, in terms of the actual crime, happened while I was uh, being, uh, you know, when I was in sickbay uh, back in the summer of 2022. Sentencing is set for March 18th after an Allegan County Circuit Court jury this past Tuesday, um, actually I should say last Tuesday, a week or so ago, returned a guilty verdict against the 39-year-old Holland man on charges stemming from the death of Joseph Roberts 19 months ago. Thaddeus Cortrez Wilson was convicted of first-degree murder, four counts of felony firearm use, possession with intent to deliver both cocaine and methamphetamine, and being a felon in possession of a firearm. He was arrested in southern Illinois about two months after the June 19, 2022 incident, in which the 36-year-old Roberts succumbed to multiple gunshot wounds following an altercation with the accused. There had been a $1,000 reward for information that would have led to Wilson's arrest. Conviction of a first-degree murder charge in Michigan means a mandatory life in prison without parole sentence. Chris, I will bring it uh, first to you as you were involved in this particular case. It was a fugitive case, and sometimes that can be the most stressful because not only do you have to try to figure out cause, but if there's a suspect and you can't get your hands on the suspect right away, a lot of times many of the leads dry up really fast. Getting a suspect, I would think, as quickly as possible keeps the evidence fresh and maybe, you know, better chance to have a murder conviction stick. Yes. So in this situation, uh, we used a lot of different agencies. We used, obviously, our local uh, police departments, but we also used federal resources to locate Mr. Wilson. Uh, we were able to um, get, gain a tip 
uh, through one of our flyers and used the U.S. Marshals to apprehend uh, Mr. Wilson in Southern Illinois. How tough was this case when, and, and similar cases, when witnesses who may have been there a little hesitant to step forward and help? Absolutely. This case in particular was very tough. We had witnesses that were from the Grand Rapids area, from the Holland area, from Allegan County, and just locating and getting them to cooperate in the investigation was difficult. Um, however, in the end, we ended up having over 70 witnesses coming and testify at trial, and which was um, the key in getting a, a very good result and providing some closure for the, the family. And, and obviously, we can't bring Mr. Roberts back, but being able to um, hold Mr. Wilson accountable was something that the family appreciated. How tough was it to try to convince maybe some witnesses who are maybe understandably fearful that if they step forward, uh, they could put themselves into harm's way? That's one of the things that, as detectives, we struggle with often. I think there's strength in numbers and knowing that we had over 70 witnesses. And what I always try to tell them is they're a piece of the puzzle. And so when you bring all those pieces together to complete that puzzle, it doesn't seem as nerve-wracking or, or maybe you don't see yourself as the only person testifying against um, an individual that's alleged to have committed a crime. So if we can bring everybody together and work as a team, uh, we're much more powerful. Explain, if not yourself, Chris, I'll have uh, Keith Mulder maybe explain a little bit about the extradition process. Uh, when we're talking about um, somebody that was arrested, in case, in this case, an interstate situation, somebody in Illinois was arrested, brought back to Michigan. Explain a little bit for those who may not know the process, what does it take to get somebody that was arrested in Illinois into the Michigan judicial system? So in this situation, if I'm understanding your question correctly, uh, we were able to get a warrant for Mr. Wilson through Allegan County. We had information early on that he had left the state, so we started working with the U.S. Marshals. Uh, once we received the tip down in Illinois, uh, he was arrested shortly after, and then we received notification that they had arrested uh, Mr. Wilson. So. Detective Sergeant Matson and I went down to pick Mr. Wilson up. However, he fought extradition back to Michigan, so we actually had to go back twice. So he had a hearing over in Illinois. The extradition was granted. Then we were able to go down there with, with that paperwork, um, get Mr. Wilson, and bring him back to Michigan. Okay, so in other words, within the confines of these United States, states work together. And, and, you know, yes, the person who has been arrested can fight extradition. They have the right to do so in a court of law. But uh, uh, it's not like you're dealing with, uh, say, an international situation. No, an international situation could take up to two years. Uh, so we have some experience with that as well. But that's a much different process, much lengthier process. Would you have to go through the U.S. Justice Department in that regard? Yes. Okay. Again, we're just sort of filling out the process because this is a good example of, you know, when, when, when we do have a major crime and it takes time to bring someone 
before a, a, a court and a, before a jury and dealing with an extradition situation, you know, this is a good chance to sort of uh, let our listeners know a little bit about the legal process. Yeah, it's a much different uh, picture than we see on TV. We can't complete it in an hour like Law & Order. <laughs> um, so it's uh, that's that's the interesting thing when you finish a case like we just went through on this one. It's almost two and a half weeks to talk to the jury and to really listen to them. It's it's impactful as a detective to hear what they have to say, but it's also impactful for them to hear what we have to say. So it's just a good process for everybody. If you have a question about law and order, about the fire situation in Holland in terms of uh, 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 being safe in this time of year, Chris Tinney, the fire operations captain, is with us. Uh, if you have a question, 616-395-1450, 616-395-1450. Chris, we'll get to you in a few moments. But we're we're sort of focusing right now on, on not only this particular case involving uh, uh, Thaddeus Court, Trez Wilson, but we had a story on our uh, wires, and we've reported it earlier this morning, of a uh, girl from Washington State that was found in the South Haven area, and a uh, person in that South Haven area who ha- has been a past uh, a convicted sex offender and on the state sex offender registry. Um, has been arrested in that particular situation. And to a certain extent, similar type of cooperations. I know you, you, you. this is sort of a breaking thing from yesterday, but it's a case of agencies from different states working across to be able to uh, bring somebody to justice. And in this case, a very uh, a good result for that young girl found in the South Haven area. 616-395-1450. I brought this topic up, and, and this is a good time to bring it up here since I have both the uh, fire fire service, uh, police services and fire operations both here. And it's a crime that's to me, spans both arson. When we do have what used to be so quaintly known as a firebug, uh, somebody torching uh, uh, a residence or a business, and Chris, you've seen it where maybe maybe it's not as dram- uh, not dramatized as much as we see it in in the movies and television, but somebody torching a place for insurance money. First, fire operations comes in. There's a fire. What telltale signs are usually there that this was a set fire in that regard? Well, before we could actually identify the causes of the fire, we've got to, if, if it is arson, we need to look at all the potential causes. And it's a process. Um, it's actually a scientific process. And there's a standard of uh, performance that comes with uh, the fire investigation. Uh, before you can even call it an arson, it has to be determined. You have to determine what it actually is. Um, so we, we look at the accidental causes. We've tried to rule those out. And through, again, I, you know, we use the scientific method. We create a hypothesis. Hey, if it was a fire on the stove, we would expect to see this type of fire pattern. Uh, if it started in a wall socket or an extension cord or the furnace, there's certain fire patterns and behavior of the fire throughout the building that you would see. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll see multiple sets, multiple origins of fire. That could be an indicator that there is a potential for an intentionally set fire. Uh, 
a lot of it depends on uh, circumstances that may guide the hypothesis. But again, you cannot you cannot call a fire arson just based on circumstantial evidence. Um, again, they're the experts when in, in putting, uh, you know, Sergeant Haglin, uh, Captain Mulder. When it, when it comes time to work together, we talk about the team approach that applies there as well. Uh, we will present what we find as far as uh, fire evidence, and and then try to build uh, a case off of that. But uh, you know, there's, uh, it is a difficult type of fire or fire cause to prove. Uh, that's no secret. That is, uh, it, 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 the process. It's it, it, even following the process. Some fires are so uh, so intense. There's so much damage at the area of origin. Um, it does take a, a significant amount of effort to determine what they are. And if we don't know, we can't call it. So. Uh, in our, you know, a lot of our fire records, you'll see a fire that's undetermined. And undetermined means that it could be a number of causes. It means we haven't been able to rule out a hypothesis of an accidental cause. Or, you know, we just cannot simply prove, you know, we, we use a standard, 85 to 90%. We're not at that level. We can't call the fire. So, um and that's not a secret. I, 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 you know, <laughs> well, that's I, all right. I don't want to give anybody any ideas out there for the listening No, audience, no, but I, I we, think that, we don't. You know, we, we can often have an indication or... Uh, a suspicion that something happened, but we can only uh, present what we can prove. Along those lines, then, sometimes it then becomes the matter of the detective coming in and saying, okay, who benefits from this? Can that be used as a way of saying, all right, we have these, there's a possibility, and then who might benefit from this, you know, maybe doing a little investigating. Okay, what's the insurance policy looking like and all that? I mean, granted, it sounds like a TV plot, but sometimes, you know, life imitates art. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and one of the things with uh, arsons, it's a great opportunity for the fire services and the police services to work together. And uh, our detectives and the fire marshal and fire department work really well together. And our detectives go through uh, training for arson investigation, and uh, fire marshal has training on that, so uh, it's a good team effort. How many blazes do you think really are, shall we say, deliberately set? Based on our data, mm-hmm. based on what we know uh, from our annual history, uh, roughly about two of these a year. And again, we talk about the intent. You know, the Arson, by definition, is the willful, willful or intentional burning of real property. Uh, either you know, It doesn't have to be... Uh, related to to defraud, or it doesn't have to be related to fraud, but it is an intentional burning of property. Uh, basically, we had two of those last year. Okay, maybe I'm talking to the wrong people in the sense I'm talking to people involved in Holland, Michigan. Now, if we were talking, say, in Grand Rapids, Detroit, Chicago, well, you have a bigger city, bigger municipality, more situations. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe it might be more likely. I don't know. I'm just sort of thinking out loud, as they say. But we have to, you know, let's put it this way. Crime knows no jurisdiction. And it doesn't matter how big or how small the jurisdiction is. 616-395-1450, 616-395-1450. One other thing, and I'm going to sort of throw this uh, uh, with our two captains here. Looking back on 2023, number of calls, how busy both of you were, in, both of your departments were. Was 2023 a little bit 
higher than normal in terms of responses and action, or was it a little lower? I know that the official numbers won't come out until a little later, but just sort of on a gut feeling. Yeah, for the police side, uh, our pr preliminary data shows that we were just a little higher than last year. Um, nothing significant, but a little bit higher. Um, it, but over the last um, quite a few years, we've been pretty steady in lowering our call volume. So uh, the last last year and this current um, 2023 was a little bit higher than it has been. So. Yeah, same. A very slight, just over one percent of the total call volume. But we, we have seen an increase in EMS, which is a ongoing trend, about 3.3% uh, to be exact. But the a, two follow-ups, first for, for, for Keith, I've seen reports the end of, you know, during, during December and early part of January, homicides were down, but violent crime was up a little bit. I wouldn't, you know, is that something that would translate here or not really? Um, I mean, it's, you know, you got to look at more than just one year to really get a good picture, and you got to look at more than just one jurisdiction to get a good picture. Um, uh, you know, for example, uh, in the city, we've had an increase in homicides over the last uh, two years. We've had more than normal. Um, but yet, uh, overall, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, statewide or nationwide, that's the same. Um, with uh, violent crime, um, you got to remember that uh, when you look at statistics for violent crime versus homicides, the medical field has, uh, has improved greatly as far as um, initial medical care, like on the street. So that affects how many homicides you have versus violent crimes because what, um, what in the past would uh, possibly not be treated and saved a life uh, on the street, now we have tourniquets and different um, uh, equipment out in the field that uh, we can easier save lives um, from violent crimes. So that definitely comes into play when you look at those statistics. And Chris, on the fire side, I, I think that more than anything else, we have seen more awareness of fire safety techniques. People are more aware about what they can and what they should not be doing but yet, the one thing I see more than anything else of these things, a lot of kitchen fires, a lot of fires about, you know, people just, you know, taking things for granted or, you know, not, not you know, being ignorant or, or, or neglectful, I think is a, is a better way of saying it. Especially, you know, they put stuff on a, a stovetop that uh, is hot and all of a sudden, hey, what happened, Lucy? Yeah, we had a fire. <laughs> Right, and uh, what you're getting at is the, the value of investigative processes as well. Uh, that data helps us drive some of our educational efforts, and uh, it, you're, you're spot on. I think the leading cause last year uh, for fires in structures was actually uh, cooking. It involved cooking, not necessarily from the standpoint of actually preparing a meal, but uh, cooktops and surfaces that are being used to store whatever, to store the, uh, the one pot, uh, what do they call that, uh, what do you, <laughs> That's yeah, right. there's, there's your appliances, right. uh, pizza boxes. Uh, we actually had, I might be a little bit more, uh, this might be back in 2022, but we did have a couple of occurrences where pets uh, trying to obtain snacks off the top of the uh, snacks. It was probably a full pizza, uh, but actually tried to steal that off the stove and uh, it, it bumped the knobs and actually ignited the pizza box. Concern there, the sad story, uh, the end result is the uh, result of the fatality with the, with the pets, but um, that was what we determined the cause of fire was. So, but 
again, those are prevented uh, or able to be prevented. So. Here's something that uh, both departments would be very happy to talk a little bit about in our final few moments together. Replenishing forces, in other words, recruiting. Uh, I would assume that uh, there are good men and women willing to uh, step forward, serve not only uh, in police uh, uh, police services, but also in fire operations. Uh, how can they do that? Yeah, we put uh, significant effort uh, in the last few years into recruiting uh, for new officers. Uh, we've had a fair amount of retirements happening, and uh, so we, we've kind of upped our game as far as trying to reach out and find the right people. We're, we're very uh, intentional about looking for people that are fit our culture and we feel have the right uh, qualities. And um, so one of the things that we do is we started last year a summer recruit academy and uh, it's during the summer we look for high schoolers and um, college students who are looking to possibly get into the law enforcement career field and we spend a couple weeks with them and uh, kind of showing them what the job's all about and it's a great experience for people to um, get into to see if that's is something that they want to do. And yeah, go ahead. If I can add to the Summer Academy, I think one of the key uh, things to this academy, if you have somebody that's interested, is it's very hands-on. This is not something that the, the person that's interested is coming in and sitting in a classroom. We're actually doing mock homicide scenarios where they have to go to the scene, they have to investigate what they have, and then we'll bring in potential suspects and witnesses, and they'll work as a group to figure out, okay, who is responsible for this. Uh, so if you have somebody that's interested, you can tell them that they're going to be actually actively part participating in roles that police officers do. Let's get to a quick call before we end the segment. Good morning. You're on the line with our guests. Yeah. Have you had a fire where somebody got murdered? And somebody tried to cover it up. Have you ever had that happen? Thank you. All right. Uh, sometimes we see those TV situations where uh, somebody wants to start a fire to cover up a murder. <laughs> I don't know whether or not it really happens, or is it just simply TV? <laughs> I believe before I my tenure with the department, there was uh, there was one case where that did occur. There was a uh, a murder and a coincidental fire, but I, I don't know any any other specifics other than that. But it, it's a, it's a good dramatic thing, you know, uh, for law and order for uh, some of you know, or perhaps our friends over at Dateline or Twenty Twenty or <laughs> Forty Eight Hours will be able to find that. One final thing, Chris, and I'll t I'll tie it with you. Uh, and ties a little bit with recruiting somebody who maybe starts out as a you know and reserves and all that, who knows? They might be the paid-on-call firefighter of the year, as was announced uh, earlier this week. Yes, Ryan Culver, uh, one of our paid-on-call paid call firefighters, was uh, presented with that award and uh, very deserving of that. He is a great contributor to a lot of the things we have going on at his station. He's uh, exercised some leadership there with his station. He's also a great resource when it comes to technology that uh, a lot of us kind of fumble around with. So he's been a real real asset to the department. Fire Operations Captain Chris Tinney, Detective Sergeant Chris Haglin, Police Services Captain Keith Mulder, thank you all three for joining us today on Talk of the Town. Wish all of you well and a safe 2024. Thanks, Gary. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. And that is our friends from the Holland Department of Public Safety coming up.
CBS News with Deborah Rodriguez, followed by WHTC News. Then we will have Brian Spencer's What's New Around Holland. Then we'll have an update from the Community Foundation of the Holland Zealand area, 99.7 and 1450 WHTC.